Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Thank you for worshiping. What a wonderful time to worship and place our trust in the God that we know that he's been because he's going to be that same God to us today, the God that, that turns graves into gardens, the one who is doing a new work because we've seen him do it in the past and we know that he can do it in us. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, I wanted to say a couple things. First, it's about opening up our, our doors and we're gonna be able to get again if you're able for worship again at our three campuses. I told you we were meeting with a very small group of leadership last week and that went really well. We worked out some of the kinks and the protocols that we have. Uh, this weekend we're getting a little bit larger group together to go through that again and then we'll uh, be inviting you back on the 21st of June. And so please be looking for an email. We'll send that to you with all the details and of course all those details will be on our website. It'll be reduced capacity which uh, should be okay for many people. I know some of you don't feel comfortable coming back. That's totally fine because what we want is for you to have a great worship experience that is safe for you and safe for our community. But we should be opening up really soon, which I'm really excited about and excited to see you face to face again. Also, I wanted to say thank you to all of you that sent me uh, many, many uh, emails and things. Uh, there was overwhelming support for my message last week, which was really encouraging to me uh, as a pastor to know uh, our congregation is on board and in lockstep with our leadership, and so uh, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned in last week's sermon is that uh, the elders were gonna be putting out a statement. Uh, you can now find that statement on the front page of our website, and that, you know, if you have more questions about that, feel free to, to reach out, but I think that helps to just reinforce the message that I preached last week, and excited to see uh, what God does uh, with us as a church as we continue to be Monday morning relevant, leading with the good news of Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you that I heard that during the shelter in place time, many of you were playing family games together, and I got kind of jealous of that because my boys just aren't kind of at that age and stage where they want to play games with some, you know, good rules and board games and all those kind of things. But there is one game that they like to play at home, and that is wrestling. Now, I, I made the mistake, it's my fault. I made the mistake of showing my boys who are eight and four, WWE. So I, I, you, you know what I'm talking about, that, that male-oriented, testosterone-driven soap opera around wrestling. And I showed it to them, and they love it. They love Roman Reigns. They love the Usos. They love Otis. They love the Friday Smackdown, Friday Night Smackdown. They, that, that's their jam. They love that, which means that every day when I come home from work, guess what we play? Wrestling. That means the boys push the couch up against our, our stairway in our, uh, in our house, and they climb up the outside of the banister and then jump down on me as I'm in the fetal position on our couch. You know, they love getting, especially my youngest, Hayes, loves getting up there and saying, off the top rope, and then he just jumps down and pummels me. It's a really relaxing time when I get home from work. I love it. But my boys love playing wrestling. So it wasn't a surprise to me when one day I got home from work and my oldest, Dax, who's eight, said, Dad, I, we were at Target today and I saw this WWE championship belt that I wanna buy. And I was like, great, well, how much is it? And he said, $20. 
I said, well, son, you, you know, you've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of chores to do. And so why don't you just you know, work for it? And then uh, you know, one day we'll get it for you. And so I came home from work the next day. And Jen told me that Dax was a man on fire. That he had done so many chores from laundry to dishes, from his room to the garage. I mean, he was doing everything. And so he comes up to me that day with a huge smile on his face. And he said, Dad, did mom tell you everything that I did? And I said, she, she did, buddy. And he said, so can I go get the WWE championship belt? And I said, no. And that smile quickly turned to a crushed frown. And he said, why not? And I said, because, buddy, there are some things in life that you have to work for and wait for longer than one day. That this is gonna take some work and some waiting longer than just one day. Now, quick parenting tip to you. If you are gonna lay down this wonderfully rich principle that, that teaches a life lesson at, at, at this very critical juncture of your eight-year-old's life, then make sure your spouse is on the same page. Because the next day that I came home, I found my son with this WWE Championship uh, belt on. You do not want to mess with that dude, I'm, I'm telling you. So Jen had just gone out, and she's a wonderfully compassionate, wonderful, soft-hearted mother. So she had given him the belt. But the principle still remains the same. We all know that's true. That there are some things in our life that is worth working for and waiting for, but it takes longer than one day. That, that is an axiom that is true, and we all know it, but we don't like it. We all want what we want when we want it. And we don't like to wait, and so we look for different shortcuts in our lives. And the problem is, is when we shortcut our way through different means to find what we want when we want it, we oftentimes shortcut our satisfaction. You see, the only way that we ever get God's best is when we do it God's way. And that means it's gonna come in God's timing. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter three. Ruth chapter three, we're gonna continue our series in unfailing love as we've been going throughout the book of Ruth. Now I wanna give you a quick uh, summary of the book of Ruth because I know we took a break last week. Remember, this is happening during the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were all finding satisfaction in the ways that they wanted to do it. And there's this family of four that's in Bethlehem. And this family of four in Bethlehem figures out that because everyone was, was doing what was right in their own eyes, God judges the land with a famine. Now because there's a famine in the land, this family from Bethlehem goes to Moab because they hear that there's food in Moab. But down in Moab, the father dies and the two sons die. And so they're stuck, the mother, who is Naomi, is stuck in Moab with two daughter-in-laws that she inherited here in Moab. And she then hears that the Lord has visited his people again and relieved the famine back in Judah. So she decides to go back from Moab, about a 50-mile journey, back to her hometown in Bethlehem. And she only goes back, though, not with two, uh, two daughters-in-laws, 
but just one. Only Ruth goes back with her. So they go back to Bethlehem, and Naomi the mother, Ruth the daughter-in-law, in Bethlehem, and Ruth goes into the fields and begins to glean this food that the Lord provided to relieve his people from the famine. And in this interaction in chapter two, we find that she finds herself, Ruth, in the field of Boaz, this very benevolent man who is providing greatly for Ruth and subsequently Naomi. So that's chapter two, and today we're gonna pick up in chapter three. But before we get to chapter three, I wanna point out a few things. Because the way that chapter two ends, if you will notice it, it says that it's the end of the wheat and barley harvest, which means it's the end of a season. A season is coming to an end. And that's really important to notice. Actually, the end of chapter one ends with the, end of the beginning of a season, so the end of another season. And the way that chapter two ends is the end of a season, which is going to begin a new season. And I tell you that for, for two reasons. First, it's important that you understand that because the, the relationship that Ruth had with this benevolent man, Boaz, was very professional. She was just a worker in the field. But because the wheat and barley harvest is over, she no longer has this natural connection to be able to see him on a regular basis. And so there's a level of urgency the author is bringing to the surface here at the beginning of chapter three. But the other reason why I bring up this season coming to a close is because for many of you, you feel like you're in a season where God is not listening to your prayers. You see, Ruth has gone back with Naomi to Judah, to Bethlehem, and she's just kind of working really hard to provide for Naomi. Day in and day out, she's just going through her routine, the humdrum of gleaning from the field and going back and feeding Naomi, to wake up and go back and glean in the field and bring it back to Naomi. And it's just this cycle that almost seems endless. And I know sometimes you may feel like that in your life, that you're just in this humdrum and you're going, God, is this all that there is? Like, like can't there be more? And you're in this season that's very dry and, and maybe dull. And what I want to encourage you is, I want, I want to encourage you to remain faithful to the Lord. Because what he's doing in this season is he's proving you faithful. You're proving yourself faithful to him. And he's building things into you. And he is going to answer your prayers in his way and in his time. I know you know what an echo is, but I don't know if you know the definition of an echo. The definition of an echo is an interesting definition to me. When you look up that definition in Webster, an echo is a repetition of a sound that is a reflection of a sound wave bouncing off of this, con- this confining or this hard surface, or another way to say it is an obstructive surface. Now, you, logically, you know that, that when if you were in a canyon and you shouted something, it's this 
sound wave that's going through that reflects off this hard, obstructive surface, surface and then rebounds and you hear the same thing. That's what an echo is. But I just love that definition because for an echo to be answered, it has to have an obstructive or hard surface. And I tell you that because so many of you, especially if you are in a season that is dull and dry, you feel like God's heart is hard toward you. That his heart isn't soft to you, that he's not answering your prayers. That you say, God, would you move, would you work? I, I just feel like I'm going in day in and day out doing the same thing over and over again. And what I want to encourage you is to keep going about things God's way because what seems like an obstructive service will end up at the end of a season becoming an echo that's answered. And in chapter three, you're going to see a lot of those needs that Naomi and Ruth had, those things that maybe even became their prayer requests of God, wouldn't you do this? They're going to return back to them as echoes answered. And so let me just point out, because there's three echoes that you see in chapter one and chapter two that you're gonna see begin being answered in chapter three. So let's look back very quickly by way of review. In chapter one, remember what Ruth said. This is after her two boys, Malon and Chilion, die. And she says to her daughter-in-laws, the Lord grant you that you may find Rest, and this is a key word that you're going to need to remember because that's the word that's gonna show back up in, verse, in chapter three. Find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. She wanted them to go back to Moab and go find rest in somebody else's house. That's echo one. Echo two comes in chapter two where Boaz is talking to Ruth as she's in the field, and she says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward being given to you by the Lord of how you've taken care of Naomi, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Key phrase. You've come to take refuge in the God of Israel, in Yahweh. Remember, she forsook the gods of Moab, and she said, your God, Naomi, is gonna be my God. That conversion statement that she has there. That's, that's, that's her confession. And he says, God bless you. You've taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh. Taken refuge under him. You're gonna see that pop back up in chapter three. And then the third echo is when uh, Naomi comes back into Bethlehem after she has uh, buried her husband and her two boys there in Moab. And she's coming back to Bethlehem. And she says, I went away full. I went away as a full family, went away full of God's blessings down to Moab, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And that's when she says, call me Mara, call me bitter. She went away empty. Those echoes that you see this desire for rest, this desire for refuge, this desire for God to provide because now I've come back empty. God has heard all of those prayers and what may seem like God is obstructing their path to what they needed, to what they wanted, actually he's gonna answer those in his time 
and in his way. He's going to answer the echoes of their hearts in chapter 3. So let me stop talking about what you're going to see in chapter 3, and let me go ahead and let's read it. I want to read the whole chapter, so just follow along with me. Remember, the end of chapter 2 is, it's a season is over. It's at the end of the barley and wheat harvest. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. Verse 6. So she, that being Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, then she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled. And he turned over and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant, the one who has been gleaning in your field. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer that's nearer than I. So remain tonight in, in, and in the morning. If he will redeem you, then good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until morning. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but she arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter, or how did it go for you? Then she told her, all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must no, not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And may God bless the reading of his word there in Ruth chapter three. So this is where we're gonna see a lot of those echoes from chapter one and two answered, these needs, these desires. But this all happens on the threshing floor, and I know you don't probably know what a threshing floor is, but a threshing floor was just kind of this uh, wide, very flat space, and it was in the wide open, probably on, on a hill where a breeze or a wind could, could come through. And so they would thresh the grain or the wheat or the barley, whatever, and then they would toss it up into the wind so that the grain, the heavy grain, would fall to the ground and the chaff would be blown away. And so they've already harvested everything from the field. Now this is the next step in the process. 
And Boaz is at the threshing floor. This is where this all takes place. But how these echoes are gonna be answered, these desires are all gonna be through Boaz being the redeemer, as it says here, or what we know in the Old Testament as a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer was built into God's law. God built in someone to help the family through tragedy. You see, remember, back in Old Testament times, it was the male, the head of the family, it was a patriarchal society, it was the male's role to protect and provide for the family. And so God said, well, if the male dies, then there needs to be a redeemer that can help that family that's gone through the tragedy. And so they need a redeemer, a kinsman. So the requirements that he gave in the law, what that they would, have a, they would be a blood relative to the family, that they would have the resources to care for the family that was going through a hard time, and, and that they would actually buy, buy them back, that they would keep the name going of the family, that they would carry on the family name through the relatives that were left. That's the kinsman redeemer. And remember, Naomi is widowed. Ruth is widowed. The family name is not gonna be carried on. They need a blood relative to be a kinsman redeemer, to be the, as the Old Testament Hebrew says, the goel. And that's what, that's what Boaz is going to be through Ruth. But through Ruth, he's also gonna bless Naomi. But see, this is God's way. They, they wait for God's way. They do it God's way, and they're going to end up getting God's best. So what I wanna do is I wanna very quickly just go back through chapter three, and I wanna show you those ways that the echoes are answered, but I wanna show you, in order to do things God's way, these folks have to overcome normal, daily temptations that you and I both face. And I wanna show you how they overcome those temptations and how they follow God's way and end up getting God's best. So let's go through this very quickly, because I want you to see the first one is, if you want to find God's best, then you have to avoid selfishness. If you want to get God's best, then you have to avoid selfishness. Now remember, I, I, I was telling you kind of the Old Testament way that it, it was set up uh, as far as the patriarchal society. One of the other things that, were in, that was in the ancient Old Testament is that oftentimes marriages were arranged by parents. Now, Remember, Ruth is, is a foreigner in the land with her mother-in-law. She doesn't know anybody there, and obviously her parents aren't there to arrange a marriage. And she needs something. She, she needs some help in finding a bow, and she ends up obviously soon getting Boaz. But she needs Naomi's help, and Naomi recognizes this poor gal doesn't know anyone here. She doesn't have any parents here to arrange a marriage for her, to set this stuff up. And so Naomi says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, she says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Remember, that was in chapter 1, verse 9. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Should I not seek this, this rest that you, can, that you can find, that someone will help provide for you, that someone will help protect you? Naomi feels this responsibility to help care for Ruth. 
And you say, that's very selfless of Naomi. And it is very selfless of Naomi. But also, remember how selfless Ruth has been this entire time. I mean, back in, remember Ruth chapter one, verse nine. She says, go back and find rest in somebody else's household. Go find rest and find yourself a different husband because my son has died. And I don't have time to have more children for you to marry. So go back and find rest in somebody else's household. And remember who takes her up on it. It's Orpah. Orpah goes back to Moab, but Ruth doesn't. Ruth says, okay, Naomi, you know what? I could find rest somewhere else, but I'm going to serve you instead. And she doesn't leave this single widowed woman to make the 50 mile journey back to Bethlehem by herself. And she goes along with her back to Bethlehem. And then she spends every day working and caring for Naomi. She essentially turns in to Naomi's caretaker. Ruth has been very selfless toward Naomi. She could have been selfish. She could have gone back to Moab and gone, yeah, lady, you're bad luck. I'm not sticking around you. I'm gonna go back to Moab. I'm gonna go back to the people I know. I'm gonna go find a husband. I'm gonna go do what is easiest and best for me. And instead, she puts somebody else's needs above her own. We all face that temptation to be selfish, to say, I'm gonna do what's best for me right now. That is always the shortest, what we think is the shortest route to satisfaction is selfishness. Let me put my needs first. But with God, that's not the way that it goes. With God, it's different. And instead of being selfish, you need to be selfless. You see, instead of being selfish, serve others selflessly. That's God's way. And when you follow God's way, you get God's best. Because she could have very easily gone off to Moab and found a husband. But now she gets a kinsman redeemer. Now Ruth gets to be a part of an eternal story that's being told forever and ever and ever that has the lineage of Christ linked to her. Why? Because she followed God's way. She put others' needs above her own. That's that's the way that God blesses. And when you go God's way, you get God's best. And don't forget that. Don't shortcut your way to satisfaction through selfishness. Go God's way, you'll get God's best, and that's by serving others selflessly. That's what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Or you can substitute anything there as far as serving those in need. Anyone who puts others' needs before their own, it's as if they're doing it to the Lord. And he, who? The Lord, will repay them for their deeds. The Lord ends up repaying. And the Lord always repays more than you give. Always. It's it's just the way that he does it throughout Scripture. See, that's how the echoes answered. I, I need rest. And the Lord says, I got rest for you. You just go about it my way, and in my time, I'll give it to you. But my way is to serve others selflessly, not to go about finding your own means selfishly. So that's the first echo that's answered. The second one is this. If you wanna find God's best refuge, then you have to avoid impulsivity. 
If you want to find God's best refuge, you have to avoid impulsivity. Now, let's think about what's going on here. So it's midnight, and Ruth has gotten on her best clothes, she's put on her makeup, she's put on her perfume, and she goes out at midnight to go find Boaz on the threshing floor. I mean, the scene is obvious. I don't, I don't have to give you any more context to what it feels like at that time. So Ruth goes down to the threshing floor, and she uncovers Boaz's feet, And Boaz, in Ruth chapter three, verse nine, he said, who are you? He's startled as he's woken up from his slumber. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. That's how you know me. I'm the one that was gleaning in your field. You're the one that I've been talking to in chapter two, although they didn't know it was chapter two. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now remember, remember the conversation back in chapter two, verse 12, when Boaz says, may you find refuge under God's wings. And now Ruth is going, hey, Boaz, you are the answer to my prayer. You are the kinsman redeemer. You're the one that God has put in place for me to take refuge in under your wings. You are the tangible means that God is going to use to answer my spiritual prayers. You see, that that is what is going on here. That's this echo answered. Boaz becomes an answer to his own declaration in chapter two. But he doesn't act impulsively. I just told you, you know what that scene is like. But I wanna tell you, Boaz is a man of integrity. Nothing happens here that is salacious. Boaz treats her with the integrity that she deserves and with the integrity that he has. He was a man of good reputation, as we know from the rest of the book of Ruth. And in fact, he ends up saying to Ruth, Ruth, you are a woman of valor, You are a woman of good reputation, even amongst the city. Where did she get that good reputation? It's from caring for Ruth day in and day out through the humdrum of life. She was going in day in and day out being Naomi's caretaker. And that foundation of being faithful to putting others' needs first is what gave her a great reputation in the city and a great reputation with Boaz. And Boaz says, you're a woman of valor and I'm gonna treat you as such because I am the same way. You see, Boaz, does he have an opportunity to act on his impulses right there? Yeah, absolutely he does, but he doesn't. That's not God's way. That's not God's best. And if you want God's best, then you have to go about it his way. And you don't act impulsively Impulsively, that's not God's way. Instead, you act with integrity. He could have impulsively taken up on this, uh, this spontaneous marriage proposal that Ruth has for him at midnight on the threshing floor after his heart is full and merry. But he backs away and he says, I'm not gonna act on my impulses, I'm gonna act with integrity. Man, 
if there is ever a, a shortcut to what we think will satisfy, we take that shortcut of impulsivity all the time. We act on our impulses. If you feel it, do it. And that's not God's best way. That's oftentimes not his best way. Please, 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 don't mistake temptation for opportunity. Just because that, that, that opportunity is there, it might not be God's best opportunity. It might just be a, a, a trap. Remember, God gives us a way out of temptation. He doesn't lead us to temptation. And I've seen so much heartache come from people acting on their impulses, especially when it comes to sensuality. And they've acted on those things and all they've gotten out of it is sure, maybe immediate gratification, but long-term heartache. And we need to start treating people with integrity and playing the long game, not just what we can get in the short run. Because if you rush God's blessings, if you rush God's plan, then you're gonna half-bake his blessings. You're not gonna get the full satisfaction from what God is trying to do in your life. You see, we forget that the security that comes with walking in integrity. Proverbs, again, Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. When you walk with integrity, you walk securely. You're not always looking over your shoulder going, who's gonna come after me? Because I didn't have integrity in this situation. I didn't honor God. I didn't honor the other person. And I've just thought through this situation. What if, remember in verse 12, he says, there's a redeemer closer than me. And I need you to hold off and I need to follow God's plan and I need to follow the process to go run the traps, to go do the checks and balances to make sure that I can be the redeemer. So he, he acknowledges that there's a process to be made there and even promises her. He makes an oath in verse 13 that he's going to follow through on this process. Now, what if he doesn't? What if he just acted impulsively on the threshing floor? What would have happened? I don't know, honestly, but I don't think it would have been good. He would have ruined his reputation. He would have ruined Ruth's reputation and let's even pretend, let's pretend that, that they get married. But then the, the marriage, uh, or the, the engagement you know, photos get out and the engagement notices go out and the one who is in line before him goes, Ruth, is that the Ruth that's related to Naomi? Well, that should have been me. And now we have to start, the whole thing comes unraveled. And Boaz is no longer walking in security. That's the Proverbs 10, is that he's now found out. The, the, the one who walks in a crooked way, they're found out. Don't, don't shortcut God's way because you won't get God's best, especially when it comes to that area where we're talking about sensual things, but it happens in career, it happens in business, it happens in families, it happens in relationships, it has business deals, all those things. Don't act on the impulses. Follow God's process with integrity 
and he'll provide for you and you can walk securely. And then finally, last one, is to find God's best resources, avoid self-sufficiency. Avoid self-sufficiency. Remember now, this is the morning and they've woken up and uh, she says, he says, hey, I'm going to give you something. And in chapter three, verse 17, before she goes back to her mother-in-law, Boaz gives her food, six measures of barley. So she goes back to Naomi and Naomi says, how did it go last night? She set up the whole thing as a matchmaker. And Ruth tells her, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed. Remember that word empty? That was in chapter one, verse 21. To your mother-in-law. Naomi said, I came back empty. The Lord has forsaken me. Don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. And you know, I think about that, how at that time, Naomi had Ruth standing beside her during that time, and she says, I was empty. But yet, Ruth was gonna be the greatest blessing to Naomi. That would be the, the reservoir by which God would funnel his blessings to Naomi. But Naomi had every opportunity to just stay in her bitterness. And oftentimes, bitterness leads to loneliness. And if we're lonely, when then we're not living around the other people that God has put in our lives to bless us, to be blessings to us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and certainly they can be in the way of resources also, just like Ruth provided for Naomi. It's, it's answering that echo of, I was empty. And now you get this, uh, the way I call them, I call them God winks, you know, wink, wink, like, I got you. I was empty. No, no, no. There's this person, this kinsman redeemer that God has put in our lives. And he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. See, that gift of barley, that, that wasn't for Ruth. That was for Naomi. That was God's message to her, answering her prayers to fill her life with all the good things that he had for her. You see, if you want God's best, his, his resources, you can't live self-sufficiently. Instead, you have to live in community. You have to live around other people. Don't let bitterness, thinking that the things that you're praying is God is an obstruction to, but going about things his way so that he echoes those answers to your prayers. And sometimes the way that he's gonna answer the prayers is through other people. It's through community. Not just a direct answer, but through these different people God has put in your life. I mean, that's the way the early church was set up in Acts chapter two. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Why? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds, their proceeds to all as any had need. That's what the church was doing. Those believers in Christ, they were going, oh, do you have a need? Well, man, I'll help with that, and I'll help with that. But what if, because they had a need, they said, you know what, God, you don't see me, you don't care about me, and they go off and go off on their own. Bitterness leads to loneliness. And if you're lonely and isolated, and you're living in self-sufficiency, that's not God's best for you. That's not God's way. 
and therefore you won't get God's best. You see, God's way always leads to God's best. And Ruth and Naomi were being faithful to God's way. And therefore they end up coming sovereignly and providentially, divinely into Boaz's field who is going to be a kinsman redeemer who could provide rest, who could provide refuge, who could provide resources. And all of this unfailing love that is gonna be shown through a kinsman redeemer to Naomi and Ruth is all foreshadowing Jesus. You see, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one who shed his blood for us so that we can have a blood relationship with him. He is the one under whose name we walk. He is the one who makes a way for us, who provides every good resource so that we can be fully equipped to walk in his ways and demonstrate his love and his heart in every aspect of our life. And he was willing to redeem us so much so that he laid down his life for you. You see, the only way that you're gonna get God's best is if you follow his way. And his way is that you would walk with the ultimate kinsman redeemer, and that's Jesus. See, this is just a model. This is a model of, I'm gonna be faithful to you, God, and I'm gonna trust you. I pray that you would understand that all of those prayers that might seem empty, if you just continue to be faithful to him, that season will come to an end and those echoes will be answered beyond anything you could ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you made a perfect kinsman redeemer who laid down his life for us. I pray that you would give us the faith to follow your way because I know it's your heart to give us your best. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.